Hi, welcome to the official podcast of the WCD. There's a World Congress of Dermatology which will be held next in Singapore in 2023. I am Dr. Etienne Wang from the National Skin Centre of Singapore and I will be your host for this podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts and wherever else you get your podcasts. In this podcast, I speak with dermatologists and skin researchers from all over the world to talk about all things dermatology. Today, my resident co-host Ellie is back with a derm topic for discussion. Hi Ellie, welcome back. Hi Dr. Etienne, good to be back. Hi, what do you have for us today? I was thinking today we can talk about telemedicine and teledermatology because it's a field that has really grown over the last one to two years as a result of the pandemic. Ah, just like Zoom, which has suddenly become ubiquitous in all our lives, teledermatology is definitely something that has increased in use over the pandemic. Mm, correct. For both of us, I think we've both done telemedicine before. And I'm just wondering what you think about the practice and how have you um, incorporated it into your work? I think for teledermatology, it definitely has a place for patients who are very vulnerable, maybe unvaccinated or maybe immunocompromised patients who do not feel comfortable coming to hospitals during this time of the pandemic, or even patients who are um, less mobile and difficult to move to, um, you know, from their home to the office. In Singapore, we are quite lucky that it's quite small, so transport is usually not as much of an issue. But in other countries where travelling to a dermatologist clinic is quite tricky, I think there's definitely a larger role that can be played there. That's true, especially because convenience and transport can be quite uh, important to patients, like you said, who are immobile. But one thing I feel is that, you know, this concern about the diagnostic accuracy, what do you feel about it? Because sometimes on video, on photos, it's quite hard to get a good sense of the patient's skin condition. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, there are definitely limitations to teledermatology. One, one is, of course, internet connection. I mean, as long as a patient has a really good internet connection and a really good camera and the technical know-how to how to produce pictures with good lighting and good angles, it can be quite tricky. The younger patients probably are better at this, but, you know, sometimes with older patients, it might be quite tricky to get a really good picture of what's actually going on. And usually, if I do encounter these patients, I'll tell them to come for an in-person the next time. I don't know whether you remember when we were on call a few months ago and we were looking at pictures of yeah, uh, yeah. blue letters that were sent to us through photos. It can be very difficult to see the skin condition. And also, it's very difficult for the primary doctor to send you photos of every single part of the person's body. And I think as dermatologists, if we don't see a certain part, we can get a bit uncom- unsettled or you know just not sure. But it's very difficult for them as well. And there's this issue about confidentiality and data privacy, especially if you want to take photos of more sensitive areas. Yes, I remember one time when I was on call, I think a few years ago, one of the ref- referring doctors actually sent a referral for query Stevens-Johnson syndrome and sent a picture of a very close-up picture of these bruised and very vasculitic skin. And when we went there, it was just sim- simply senile purpura on the restraints on the arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be very tricky. And I think that's why striking a balance between um, teleconsult and in-person visits And also there's this concept of hybrid teledermatology where in addition to just video conferencing, the patients also send in photographs and that helps a little bit because the quality of the images on video is not as good as in photographs for most of the time. Yes, yes, absolutely. So that's the two practice models of the store and forward and the real-time video conferencing. I heard that you have done a little bit of a survey and study on um, teledermatology yourself. Do you mind sharing what you found? Mm. Yeah, so we actually did a study to find out what influences the willingness to use teledermatology for patients. So I think 
um, one of the interesting findings was on the concept of waiting. So convenience is something that is very important to a lot of people and they feel that in telemedicine, there is less time wasted waiting. Not because your consult moves faster or not because the waiting time is less, but because instead of just sitting in the clinic, you get to do other things like you get to eat, you get to do your work, clean the house. But on the same note um, of waiting, it's quite interesting because some patients also said that they don't like waiting with telemedicine because if you're at home, you can't see how many people are ahead of you, how busy the clinic is, and you don't have staff that you can just ask or check with. And to some people, that can be quite unsettling. So I thought that was quite an interesting different viewpoint that I think we as physicians don't think about. <laughs> well, I had another teleconference patient last week who was actually doing the teleterm consultation from the inside of a lift. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> so yeah, so that was not very pleasant for myself. So, so there are definitely limitations. And you know, as we move into this new era of possibly a lot more pandemics and shutdowns, we might need to get used to all this. Correct. I think it's very important for us to continually improve the system so that it can be more sustainable and the uptake would be higher, not just amongst patients, but also physicians as well. Okay, well, that's very interesting. I think we really have to watch this space for teledermatology. Who knows, maybe half of our WCD in two years' time will be via teleconferencing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> thank okay, you, thank you, Ellie. Bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Venkataram Mysore is a dermatologist, dermatopathologist and hair transplant surgeon from Bangalore in India. He has been the president of three national associations, maybe more, I'm not sure, and written multiple books on dermatological surgery, hair transplantation and dermatopathology. He's worked and trained all over the world from USA to the UK to Bahrain and South Korea and he's also on the board of the International League of Dermatological Societies. Welcome Dr. Mysore to my podcast. Thank you. And thanks for the nice words of introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's very impressive. I was worried I didn't, I, I couldn't fit everything in there. You have a very impressive resume and experience in dermatology. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Can I just ask, which part of your training has the both best memories for you? Which part is the most exciting? Actually, each, see, basically there are three parts. And each of these three parts, I have enjoyed in different ways. Clinical dermatology is something which we do every day. You come across patients and you come across in large numbers. When we practice in India, we have lots of patients. So you meet a variety of people and that gives you a lot of satisfaction in treating them. Dermatopathology gives academic satisfaction. It is an intellectual curiosity that you explore. It is something which the other dermatologists value most. So when you are introduced as a dermatopathologist, it catches the eyes of most other peers in dermatology. Hair transplantation surgery is something which is a work of beauty, work of cosmetic and aesthetics. And then of course, it, it helps me to run my institute because we have a training center. People come from all over India and all over the world to train. So it sustains it. So each of these areas has been very rewarding, somewhat in different ways. That's very, very insightful. Um, you must have a lot of people that you're mentoring. How would you help a young dermatologist or a trainee pick a specialty or pick a place to concentrate their attentions on? This is a very important question. See, when, when I passed out in 86, dermatology was an end subject. You put a, you made, put a full stop of dermatology because that was all that was there to learn. But now, there are so many subspecialties within dermatology. 
a young doctor can choose dermatopathology, he can choose allergy, he can choose lasers, cosmetic dermatology, dermatologic surgery, hair transplantation, trichology, etc, etc. So the choice is great now. So one of the things that he has to decide is, does he want to be a clinical dermatologist? Does he want to go into investigative dermatology such as dermatopathology or in the field of aesthetic dermatology and lasers or surgery? So this is the first thing that he has to decide depending upon his aptitude and depending upon the inclination. Once this is done, then rest of it falls in place. He can train himself a few months in a center which has everything to decide which one of these folds fields he would like to pursue later. Each of these have their plus points and minus points and it is an individual choice. I have been somewhat lucky in the sense that I trained in two subspecialties, dermatopathology and then hair transplantation. But that happened more because of the changing times. In the early part of my career when I passed out, there was no aesthetic dermatology, there were no lasers, heart surgery was hardly anything in India except vitiligo surgery. So I chose dermatopathology. But around 98-2000, as we progressed, there was a renaissance of dermatology with explosion of knowledge in the field of lasers, hair transplantation, etc. So it was a natural corollary for me to learn those subjects as well. And then when we have a center like we have Venkat Center for Skin and Plastic Surgery in India, we try to do all the work in different specialities with different doctors focusing on different areas and that gives a total amount of satisfaction. So that's how I would suggest the endometologist should look into this. Yes, I was actually looking up your um, experience in hair transplantation is actually very impressive. Um, can you tell us anything new or exciting in the hair transplant field these days? See, hair transplantation has progressed enormous in around 96, 97, 98. The first big steps were being taken into what is now called follicular unit transplantation. This was a big step into modern hair transplant, wherein we transplanted large numbers of hairs, 4,000, 6,000, 8,000, and then gave fantastic results to patients in a very natural and pleasing way. Then around 2000, five, six, seven, a new technique came called follicular unit extraction, now called follicular unit excision. This minimized the surgery, avoided the stitch, removed the stigma of a scar, and then helped a very comfortable post-operative experience for the patient. Now, this is the step, this is the surgery, FUE, which is predominant. Once this became available, it then led to use of body hair, beard hair as a donor area. This happened and this was a major, major step because scalp donor was limited, but once you had access to body hair and beard hair, any stage of baldness could be treated with huge numbers of hair. So now we have body hair transplantation, beard hair transplantation also. Then FUE is a very repetitive process. You do the same thing again and again, 1000 times, 2000 times, 3000 times like this. So, a logical step was robotic hair transplantation. So, about 5 years back, a robot was introduced. This is still in a stage of evolution. 
it is getting better every year doing more and more work so this probably is going to be the way of the future we also have very nice instruments and equipment to perform the surgery safer faster and to give better and better results hopefully we will have other advances such as regenerative medicine in the form of stem cells to boost this field further Mm, wow. Yes, I saw the case report that you did about body hair transplantation in 2013. Which part of the body provides the best donor for scalp hair? It is chest, which chest. is the best hair. It is easy to extract. Elsewhere, it can be taken. In fact, in that case report that you mentioned, we had taken it from thigh, from legs, forearms, backs. <clears throat> in fact, that patient gave me a challenge. You take from wherever you want and I want some result. And so we took over 9000 units from different parts over about 5 or 6 or 7 sessions from what i remember but generally it is a chest hair that is the hair where it it uh, is dense and it just being directly on the rib cage also offers a firm support and so that is the one which is usually prepared or preferred for hair follicles they usually have donor dominance so do the hairs actually retain their chest hair characteristics when you transplant them to the scalp This is the basic principle of hair transplantation the donor dominance when you take from scalp occipital area the back of the head and put it onto the balding area it does not go bald because it retains the donor area this is the principle but there is also another principle called recipient influence this was discovered by my good friend Tommy Hwang from South Korea who took hairs from different parts of the body and then exchanged it and transplanted it in other areas for example he would take body hair and put it on the scalp and he would take scalp hair and put it on the body to see what happens to his surprise he found that the donor hair gradually over a period of time acquires the characteristics of the hair that is natural to that area what this means is if you take scalp hair and if you take body hair and put it on the scalp the body hair which is very thin and grows hardly for 4 to 5 months on the body starts growing thicker longer and last longer so it can grow up to 8 cm or 10 cm this is what is called recipient influence and this is the principle of body hair transplant so when we take body hair gradually slowly it acquires characteristics of scalp hair not fully but partially and that is how we use it. Oh, very interesting. I've also seen a lot of papers about hair transplantation into the the healing of chronic wounds. Do you do that in your center? Chronic wounds is it? Yeah, for chronic non-healing wounds. Hair follicle is a source of stem cells and is one of the most easily available source of stem cells. The bulge area of the hair follicle has several stem cells. and this has been used in several ways not only just in non healing wounds it has also been used in vitiligo or leucoderma as it is commonly called yes yes so there are different ways of doing it one you can just take out hairs from the scalp and put it into the wound or into the vitiligo patch and the pigmentation the melanocytes spread from the hair follicle into the patch and when you put onto the wound it promotes keratinization and covers the wound so these are routinely used and in india 
we use it more for vitiligo because it's a big problem in our skin a white patch on brown skin or black skin is very prominent visible and obvious and the patients suffer from a social stigma so we take vitiligo very seriously and so we use different methods to treat it one of the ways is to put a hair graft itself or we can make a suspension called follicular unit cell suspension from the hair follicle which contains a mixture of keratinocytes stem cells and melanocytes and that suspension is spread on to the vitiligo patch after removing the white patch white skin that is also one of the things we do so the, we use hair follicles for this purpose also Yes, very, very exciting. Another thing I wanted to ask you is that I know, we all know that India uh, went through a pretty tough time for the pandemic earlier this year. Has it influenced your practice at all? Yes, it has. Uh, in fact, uh, in the city where I practice, Bangalore, we were in lockdown till mid of June, June 14th. Since then, it has been lifted. So we are gradually limping back to normalcy. We are almost back to 80% of our work. But there are issues still with respect to travel. There are a lot of people working from home. In Bangalore, this is the IT capital. This is the Silicon Valley of the East. So we have a lot of IT engineers and other people coming from all over India to work here. They all went back during the lockdown to be with their families. They haven't come back. And so that lacuna still exists. But uh, now we are uh, hoping that they will all come back. The travel industry will uh, function fully and uh, hopefully we should be back to normal. The vaccination in our city, I think nearly 75, 70 to 75% of the population has been, uh, have received at least one dose of vaccine. Oh, but good. still we need to be cautious and we need to observe all, uh, observe all the protocols for COVID. And hopefully in another two or three months, everything will come back to normal. Mm. And hopefully in 2023, we'll see you in Singapore for the WCD. Have you been yes, to Singapore? Yes, definitely. Uh, Singapore, of course, I have been several times before. We are looking forward to it. Singapore is a wonderful city. And you have a great convention center with a hotel next door, a mall next door. And then there are any number of sightseeing uh, places, particularly for young families, children. So I hope that dermatologists from all over the world will come and uh, join the World Congress. They will travel with their families. And uh, I hope that we'll have a very successful conference. You have a wonderful team there, which is extremely efficient and competent. And of course, Singapore traveling is easy with direct flights from almost everywhere, excellent hotels and a very comfortable time zone. So we are all looking forward to a very grand and successful uh, World Congress of uh, Dermatology. <laughs> well, thank you for all that, uh, Dr. Venka. I'll send you the check for that advertisement later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's our okay. Congress. So we should. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Yeah. Venka. I really appreciate speaking thank to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you have a nice all the weekend. Best. And okay. say my, say, convey my regards to everyone in the organizing team. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so much, much Dr. Bye -bye. Venka. Bye. And that was the official podcast of the WCD. Don't forget to follow us on all our socials on Facebook, Instagram at WCD2023 Singapore, and check out our WCD website, WCD2023Singapore.org for more updates and content on the WCD. And until next time, stay safe and use sunblock. <laughs>